So obviously this morning's message is a little bit different. Uh, today is a Q&A, and so you are invited in the comments section to offer questions. Uh, we are looking for questions, not debate. Um, and I would ask you to let us answer the questions. You don't need to get into a debate uh, in the comments section. Uh, we will take as many of these questions as we can. Uh, we have some questions that have already been submitted, and neither uh, I nor Pastor Emily have seen those questions. We've given them all to Camille Layton, who is our new interim director of youth ministry. And so she has those questions, and she's going to direct them to us. Uh, as the morning goes, you're invited to keep asking questions. We'll get to as many as we can. And if we don't get to your question, uh, Emily and I have both committed that over the next week, we will find a variety of ways to respond to those questions, some during the midday meditations, some directly in the comments section, maybe in the Tuesday newsletter. We'll, we promise we'll get to all of them. Uh, but this morning, uh, we'll get to the ones we can. So Camille, I turn it over to you. Uh, so, well, Emily, we'll start with you. Okay. Uh, first, um, someone was asking, how and when did you know that it was your calling to be a pastor? So, I grew up in the church. I grew up in a, and at First United Methodist Church of Auburndale, and was really involved in children and youth ministry as a child, and serving in the church, and attending all sorts of programs and activities through the church. But it wasn't until I was 20 years old. And I was working as a summer camp counselor at the United Methodist Youth Camp, uh, Warren Willis United Methodist Camp in Fruitland Park. And during one chapel service one night, uh, we were praying. The pastor invited you know, all the campers and counselors to pray. And in that time of prayer, uh, had this sense that uh, of God, uh, it wasn't like an audible speaking to me, but in my heart, that I'm calling you to ministry. This is what I'm calling you to do with your life. And I grew up serving in church and, and seeing my parents serve in church. And I kind of always thought, well, I'll have like a regular 95 type job and serve in the church and be involved that way. Uh, but over the course of those uh, kind of last two years of college, I say I went into negotiations with God, kind of like, well, what if I did this and then did church on the side? Or what if I worked? Um, as a children's director, a youth director, and still that voice kept calling me, no, I'm calling you uh, to, uh, to the ministry, I'm calling you to minister to my people, I'm calling you uh, to be with the people. So I went to seminary, and throughout the course of seminary, uh, those experiences and classes and internships really helped me further discern uh, that God was calling me to serve the local church. I love the local church. I love people and love being with the people and helping um, and, and working alongside people discern how God is calling individuals and a community uh, to be the people that God um, has created us to be. That's I love that. And uh, while there's all sorts of many wonderful ways to be in ministry, uh, this is where uh, this is kind of my fit. This is uh, what I'm called to do and, and where I feel like my gifts are best used. Sure. Uh, many of you have heard, heard this uh, answer before, but I'll be glad to share it. I think the important part of the question is, uh, I think you said, when did you know you want to, to become a pastor? Uh, and I don't know if that ever happened. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember feeling called. 
And if you read the stories of Paul in the Bible, no one ever wanted to be called. Uh, but they felt like it was something that, uh, that was what God wanted of them, and so they surrendered to the call. Um, I do remember one day uh, I was in corporate sales on a Wednesday afternoon, sitting in my cubicle doing paperwork. I had a good job uh, right out of college. had a great boss. His name is James Rennick. Uh, hi, James. And when uh, I was doing this work and I uh, was coming to church that night and uh, wasn't excited about the paperwork I was doing, but was excited about coming to church. And the thought occurred to me, wow, I wish I could be there all the time. And that started a process of sensing that God was pulling me towards something that I resisted hard. I, I didn't think I was worthy of it or qualified. Still don't. But that's where we Thank you. Uh, so since it's Mother's Day, do you have any biblical words or advice to any of mothers? Oh, wow. Biblical words or advice for mothers. Uh, you know, I think um, it's like I pray that the Bible gives us lots of images of God as feminine and God even as a mother. And I, I think the best example, both for fathers and mothers, is God. That, that we can't define uh, God as Father according to what we know about human fathers. We need to define human fathers uh, by how we know God fathers in the same way with, with mothers. You know, that, uh, that when we talk about God as mother, it's not defining God like we know mothers. Rather, it's the opposite. What are the qualities of God that, that um, would make a mother a great mother? Mm -hmm. That so many mothers represent. Do you have any words you want to offer? Well, I love, I believe in, in Timothy, and I think it's in 2 Timothy, uh, where Paul, or it's attributed, that letter is attributed by Paul, uh, written to his kind of young kind of follower, young student, Timothy. And he's, uh, remember the faith that your mother and grandmother taught mm -hmm. to you. And so just the importance of uh, women in community, uh, women uh, being good role models, being teachers, whether you're a profession as a teacher or not, I think we all have something to teach one another and uh, to offer in relationship to one another. And that is formational and life-changing and makes a difference. And so to kind of look to uh, whether you're a mother and you have children or not, but to like, who are you influencing? Who are you loving? Um, and how is your impact making a difference beyond what you could ever imagine. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so our next question is, um, recently we've had a change in branding and in logo, and so specifically a change in our church cross. And so a couple people wanted to understand how that new symbol was selected um, and what the meaning attached to it was. Yeah, that's a great question. So it was a process uh, that involved our communication Team or communication committee. Uh, there were a number of us that worked on it together. Uh, you may notice sometime, look up at our steeple and you'll see there's a Celtic cross at the top of our steeple. A cross with a circle in the middle. Uh, that's an ancient symbol that, that has been part of our church for a long time. And so we wanted in that logo to uh, incorporate what is old and timeless and true, and we thought that was a great symbol. But you may notice that it also has points 
and looks a little bit like a compass. Uh, we've been talking a lot. You've probably heard me uh, speak about this in a sermon or in, in articles. Uh, that, that I think that God has placed us here a long time ago, uh, adjacent to uh, City Hall and uh, Dr. Phillips and the Arts and Orange County, uh, the government and uh, business, uh, that we are uh, intersected with all of these other aspects of our community and wonder what God is calling us to do uh, in relationship to all of these others. Right now, uh, the, the primary downtown population is homeless, and many are taking showers right now. What does it mean for our church to intersect uh, with that need of our community? And so those, those compass points on our new cross remind us that we should always be looking outward as part of our, our uh, vision statement uh, to seek and love God, to love and serve people. Uh, but what does it mean to do that at every level, in the business world, in education, in the arts, how do we call, not just to be a little island in the middle of downtown, but to intersect with these important parts of society. So it's meant to be visionary. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. Thank you. Emily, yes. uh, a lot of people are familiar with the holy mystery uh, concerning communion. Yes. Um, and so a couple people wanted to understand, um, when you're serving communion, what do you personally envision? Um, that you're offering to people when you're serving communion. Mm. So here's a, I mean, a, a little story and image. So at the church I served previously, uh, <laughs> this is going to be hard for you to imagine, that uh, I kind of got in a disagreement with a church member. And uh, we had differing opinions about uh, a decision that was made. And I don't think there was, it was one of those decisions where there wasn't really like one right decision. And, and so as one of the pastors, it was like, well, this is the opinion following the guidance of the committee and um, procedures that the church had. This was the decision that we came to and I stuck by, stuck by it. And this church member was pretty vocal in, in, in stating that he thought otherwise. And, um, and so we kind of had this like, had an exchange of words and it was a little kind of uh, maybe tense and I wasn't quite sure like, okay, what's this relationship with this particular gentleman gonna be like? going forward. And a couple Sundays after that conversation, uh, I was, uh, it was a communion Sunday and I was uh, giving the bread or the cup and he came through my line. And I had the opportunity, you know, to share communion with this person. And I looked him in the eyes and I think I was holding the cup and I just said like, the body, uh, the blood of Christ given for you. And I looked him in the eyes and in that moment, it was God's grace <laughs> that here I was kind of holding a little bit of maybe, I don't know, resentment or just kind of, ugh, you know, hard feelings towards this person and this conversation that we had, probably a little bit of maybe guilt that I had not apologized or had not sought reconciliation with this particular individual. And yet God's grace entered in that moment and uh, kind of restored us in relationship with each other. Um, that whatever maybe feelings that I was holding on to kind of evaporated. And, um, and then we were able to work together in the future. I don't know what his feelings were like towards me. He may have been fine towards me. Maybe he still held on to something. But for me in my life, I experienced uh, that God's reconciliation, remembering that it wasn't um, my table. It wasn't my bread. It wasn't my juice to share, but ultimately it was God's. And I was just called to share what belonged to God. 
and to offer that with an open heart and open hands and really allow God to do the work. So in communion, I think God is actively at work, <laughs> forgiving and healing, making new, reconciling. Uh, we come to the table with all sorts of burdens, and at that table, God, God receives those burdens um, and, and does something new and active in our lives. And we can't always predict it. We can't always know when that moment will happen. But I believe that every single time we show up at the table, God is there. for us, that God is reaching out to 
us. So why wouldn't God um, maybe use angels or other divine messengers uh, to help us to um, maybe give us a message or to intercede for us? Um, but I also think that God uses people. And I feel like I've experienced God and people way more than I've ex experienced perhaps some supernatural being. Um, a friend who shows up just when you need it. <laughs> a person who offers an encouraging word when they didn't know that I was discouraged. They didn't know that I was doubting or questioning or whatever. And that word, that statement, their presence just meant the world uh, to me in that moment. Times that, um, you know, someone shared, hey, you know, I've been praying for you. Um, I mean, that means, I mean, that's, that's what a gift. And so I think God works in, in all sorts of mysterious ways. And, and, and through people, perhaps through other beings, um, God, you know, it's, you know, it's all, it's, 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 a, it's a gift to me. Absolutely. Vance, uh, do you, um, or, sorry, does God hear our prayers and does he even get involved in them? Mm, that's a great question. Yeah, I absolutely believe God hears our prayers. The Bible says it over and over, uh, that God hears the cries of suffering, that God's eyes are always upon us, uh, that God knows us intimately, that God knows the number of hairs on our head. So I absolutely believe God uh, hears our prayers and is attuned to them. Uh, Jesus told us that over and over, ask, seek, and knock, uh, that we can trust that. And I do believe that God gets involved. Um, the, the, the challenge, I think, is that we don't always know how God gets involved, um, or, or that sometimes what we pray for and what God desires for us aren't always perfectly in alignment. Uh, that doesn't mean we shouldn't pray that, I think we should, but that maybe God moves in a different way than we were anticipating, uh, but absolutely believe that God is present and at work in everyone's life, uh, and that God responds to our prayers. Uh, we have to be open to what that response is. Emily, is free will the ultimate gift of God's love? Is free will the ultimate gift of God's love? I don't know if it's the ultimate gift. Just because I, sometimes I struggle when we kind of put these qualifiers in front of words. But I definitely think free will is a gift of God's love and that uh, God has created us with the free will to decide to love God or to not love God. Um, God didn't create us as robots or as puppets uh, that are like forced to love God because that's how God you know, made us, um, but that God desires that we choose relationship with God, that we uh, want to be with God, uh, that we want to love God. So I think that's a sign of, I mean, for all of us uh, in relationships with people, uh, whether they're romantic relationships or friendships or family people, like we don't want people to feel forced or obligated <laughs> to love us or to care for us or to be in a relationship with us. We want it because uh, we want them to choose us and to choose uh, caring for us and loving for us. And I think God's the same way. I think in some ways we share uh, because we're made in God's image. Uh, perhaps that is something that we share with God, that desire to, uh, to want to be loved by others and for others to want to love us.
are believers of Christ uh, followers or not? Uh, not. Not. Okay. Um, I, I assume that when I preach that there is a variety in the room uh, or, or uh, out in the, the, the virtual world uh, that there are some who are deep believers, there are some who are mature in their faith, there are some who are new to their faith, there are some who have been uh, religious but never really had a personal faith, uh, and that there may be many who are, are, are maybe just seeking, or there might be somebody that someone uh, coerced into <laughs> the pew or to sit on the couch, or to, they're just walking by as they're going to the kitchen this morning. I, I assume that I don't make any assumptions about that. Now, the, the difficulty is that uh, I live so much in the bubble that sometimes I'm not even fully aware of what it is to be like the mindset of a non-believer. But I, I try really hard when I'm, when I'm preparing a message and delivering it to, to, to speak in a way that is accessible. To, to someone of deep faith, uh, I, I, I want to give a person of deep faith what something they can chew on, but also that's accessible for somebody that's new and may never have thought about these things before. Yeah. I, I uh, use the expression a lot. Remember, you may remember the books um, like Computers for Dummies, uh, you know, Carpentry for Dummies. I, I have always, always made it a priority to be Jesus for Dummies. No insult to all of you who aren't dummies, but uh, it is on my mind, actually, a lot. Thanks, Walt. You're not a dummy. <laughs> good question. That was a good question. Thank you. Um, so, I just want to ask one final question, and really want to ask it because it's from you. Oh, cool. So, thanks, Brady Graham. Um, he wanted to know, what do you think heaven is like? Mm. What do I think heaven is like? Um, well, there are some things, no offense, I mean, to people that maybe think otherwise, but I don't think it's like us, like, sitting on clouds with, like, harps, and, like, you know, all of a sudden, like, we're going to become these expert harpists. Um, I mean, if you're a harpist, you know, here on earth, like, that's great. I hope you can use that skill set later, uh, in heaven, but, um, so I don't think it's that. I don't, uh. I don't know what it will look like. There's a lot of different images in the Bible uh, that talk about what heaven could be like, um, what um, certainly images and visions. Um, what, the word that I, I think that I'm latching on to right now in this season of my life is restoration. So there's so much in our world and in our lives that's broken, that's messed up. Um, that I believe that's not how God intended it to be in our world, but also like in our own human lives, like brokenheartedness and uh, like wounds that we carry around that either we've inflicted on ourselves or that other people have inflicted on us. Um, we, we, we carry these things and um, that's not what heaven will be like. Heaven is where everything is fully restored in the way that God originally intended it, in, intended it to be um, before sin entered the picture, before brokenness, before um, before any wounds. 
um, that everything will be made new, everything will be restored. Um, so images of that that come to my mind, uh, you know, I think about relationships, I think about people, I think about even landscapes. Uh, to me, it's just like where everything is just in beautiful, beautiful um, restoration. That's what I think of when I think of heaven. Do you have an image of heaven? Uh, not a visual image. Uh, I, I think the end of Revelation, where it talks about in heaven there'll be no more tears, no more suffering, um, uh, is beautiful, and, 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 the, and it paints a very beautiful picture. Um, the two words that come to me for what heaven is are the, the biblical word shalom, that all will be well, uh, that we can trust that, that all will be made whole. And the other word is salvation. And that um, we, we think of salvation often related to heaven, that I get to go, like it's I bought a ticket, but the root of the word salvation is salve, like an ointment, like a healing, that, that whatever is broken now won't be broken later, it'll be restored, yeah, it'll be made whole, uh, to the wholeness that was originally intended and better. And so I don't, I don't know what it'll be like, but it'll be good.